everybody. Welcome to episode 19 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Hi. <laughs> That's my co-host over there, Stephen Lewis. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? Doing great. And I am Jonathan Lee, and we're going to talk mountain bikes again tonight, man. It's going to be good times. We're a day late, but there's reasoning behind that. Lots. I, yes. I raced, I raced my mountain bike last night. Well, you cycle across your mountain bike last night. <laughs> Let's get into that really quick. Okay. Uh, so I just built up my 2017 Yeti ASR. It's a sweet, sweet. It's just the frame. That's the only thing that's new. Mm-hmm. All the other stuff is taken over because honestly, I looked at it. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Like it was built up exactly how I wanted. Sure. Eagle could be an upgrade, but to be honest for XC racing, I'm not sure I really need it. Meh. So sure, it would be nice, yeah. but it's not worth justifying that extra cost. No. Because remember, I'm a normal human like everybody else. I have to pay for these things. True. So it's not cheap. So anyways, <clears throat> built it up. The chain that I have, and or the drivetrain, I should say, is it's it's pretty new. It's got about a month and a half on it. So that's new. Mm-hmm. And I also keep things you know sparkly clean so I don't have issues with you know running grime in there or anything else. True. We, it was a Super D, but it is a very pedally Super D. And for those that don't know what Super D is... This Super D was a format that was popular before Enduro. Yes. And basically it would run, be run in conjunction a lot of the time with a cross country race. And you would have, uh, you know, the cross country race and you have your Super D and the Super D would usually be either just the descent of the XC race or an extra long descent. Right. Nowadays we kind of think of it as like a pedally downhill that isn't very technical. Or a really, really long enduro segment. Yep. And nowadays, uh, enduro has kind of taken Super D courses and just put them all together, a bunch of them in a day, and made you ride from one to the other, and that's pretty much an enduro. Yeah. So, but uh, anyways, so this Super D course, really pedally. Yes. It's up here in Reno in an area called Peavine, and uh, I'd say that I think it was just under five miles. Yeah. So five miles and you drop from about 6,800 feet down to about 4,700 feet. Yeah. So it's a good amount of elevation drop that you have as well, but it does that, like I said, over like, you know, five miles. There's a lot of pedaling in there. Exactly. There's some uphill sections and it was brutally windy. Yeah. And about, I don't know, 30 seconds, a little more actually, probably about 45 seconds into the descent. I caught a rock in my drivetrain. It got kicked up and it snapped my chain. And chain. <laughs> yeah, I just, which I just, because instantly I thought, okay, chain snapped. Aaron Gwynn. Then I thought, you're not Aaron Gwynn. That won't work. And this isn't a downhill <laughs> race. And this isn't a downhill race. I have a lot of pedaling to do. Shoot. So I looked at my chain and it was all bunched up on my cassette. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh boy. And there's a little bit hanging down. I was like, if this gets caught in my spokes, that could be bad. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just stop later on. And then I thought, no, that's very dumb. You should stop when you have momentum or the ability to gain momentum, right? Like the downhill section. Like the downhill section. So I stopped, I ripped the chain off, threw it into the bush, and then continued uh, because I figured if the chain broke like that, there's no point in trying to salvage that thing. So No, but littering is also a felony. uh, I'm going to go pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll pick it up. Okay, Yeah. good. Uh, Yeah, I will. Uh, I will. But then we – so then after that, I jumped back on the bike. And I proceeded to either run with my bike or razor scooter it. Or, <laughs> yeah. I turned my bike into a super expensive strider pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And, uh, I was pushing as well and there's a lot of pedaling stuff. So I looked at it and it's about three miles that I was running full tilt 
or I was doing the scootering thing. It's a good thing you wear really comfortable enduro shoes, right? <laughs> yeah, and I had my S-Works XC shoes, <laughs> carbon sole. I cracked, uh, I broke one toenail completely off okay. and then cracked two other ones. Because uh, when you're trying to, and I, I just thought, so yeah, it's a silly twilight race here yeah. that happens, you know? But I was, so twilight meaning that's like a local, like just weekly series, you know, that we have. So I know there's no consequences, but I looked at it and I was like, you know what? I don't want to quit. I just never like quitting anything. So I just, and I don't also like, you know, putting in 80%. I've never done that. It's just a hundred percent. So I went for it and, uh, yeah, kind of paid the price. I'm really sore today too. Like strangely sore because in terms of functional fitness, I don't know if there's any exercises you can do to replicate pushing like that on a mountain bike, but fair. Yeah. It was kind of tough, but in fact, I'll, let me play some audio so you can hear what I sounded like. And I actually laughed at myself at one point because I realized that I sounded like a horse <laughs> with those shoes, Okay, <laughs> like a lame horse. Yeah. And then I also, I don't know if it's allergies or what, but I sounded like horribly asthmatic. So here you go. Listen and enjoy. Yeah, lame horse really sums it up. <laughs> yeah. Asthmatic lame yeah. horse. Asthmatic lame horse. So but it was good fun. Uh, but really, uh, we missed that. And then also, you were building up a bike for Coach Chad at Trainer Road. I was. I just finished it today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, explain it a bit. It's a pretty sweet build. It's a really nice, uh, it's an SB45 Turk series. I bet you all couldn't guess that. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> yeah. Um, drink, yay. Yeah, yeah. Um, built it up with like an XX1 Eagle X01 cassette because gold cassettes are just weird. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it's got a Pike fork on it. Yep. And Pike 140. We didn't go for the 130 trail version. We, we kept it at 140. 140. Um, and then just lots of Envy stuff. Envy 6040 high volumes. Yeah, 6040 high volumes, Envy bars, Envy stem. Well, it's actually the Yeti bars. Oh, it's Yeti the Yeti bars, bars sorry. Because yeah. we were trying to get this, uh, the Envy riser bar, but it was back ordered yeah. for a while. Yeah. So. so it's just a solid build all the way around. It's got a, uh, a cork power meter XX1 Eagle crank set on it. It's which we learned something about that. We did. Yeah. It's a, uh, that chain ring sits pretty close to that, uh, chain stay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's fine. You're not yeah. going to get flex there and no, the chain stay it, there. It's totally fine. fine, but it's just, it's, it's close. It's close. I'd say it's what five millimeters, maybe, maybe yeah. on a good day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it yeah. might be a little tighter. Yeah. Um, and the thing about the quark is that you're limited at a one Oh four BCD. Yeah. So no more, no smaller than a 32 tooth chain ring. BCD. I'm trying to think of what the acronym actually Bolt stands center for. Diameter. Bolt center diameter. Yep. And so you can't run anything smaller than a 32, but you also can't run anything larger. So, because obviously you would be putting teeth into the, the chain stay. Yeah. You case. could probably run a 34, but it's going to get really close. You think so? Uh, it'd be close, but yeah. Yeah. It'd be really close. Uh, but that's why there are Eagles. Uh, yep. because Eagles give you gears. They so, do. As we all know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, but it's a sweet build and it's all black and, and pretty and, and pretty nice. So yeah, it's nice. He's even got the Ergon saddle. Very Yeti of him. Very Yeti. Very Yeti Fox Shimano, I should say of him. So with all SRAM drivetrain and brakes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's just better. So, okay. you know, if you say so, agree to disagree. Yep. Uh, anyways, we are going to talk mountain bikes and even though it's a day late, I hope you'll appreciate it. 
you should go to mtbpodcast.com, eh? Don't you agree? I agree. Yeah. If you're in Canada. <laughs> yeah, eh? Yeah. Eh? Uh, we've got shirts. We also have sh- sweatshirts. We have new colors up there. You can order them. And we actually had more orders than I thought. I thought that, like, my mother would buy two, and then, like, (laughs) that would be it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Bless my mom's heart. But uh, we actually had more than I thought. So it's coming through. Uh, We're well into double digits, and it's increasing. So please, we looked at this, didn't we, Stephen? We did. So... Uh, right now we may sound different. And the reason that we sound different is because we're at trainer road HQ and trainer road invested a lot of money in new microphones and And new stuff. Yeah. These little sound wall things. I feel like I'm being attacked by a radar screen thing. Yeah. And we were like Wilson right now. I can just see Steven's eyes over the fence, so to speak. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, that's probably why we sound so good. And we want to get our own podcast equipment because trainer road is awesome. And once again, if you've ever been dropped, if you ever think I need to get faster, or if you have ever been the guy on a ride that's annoyed people because you're really slow and had to take breaks, go to trainerroad.com, sign up, pick a training plan, you'll get faster. It's that you simple. Will. Yep. Uh, so, but, and, and we will continue to plug Trainer Road because I work for them and I think it's a good tool to use, but I, we want our own microphones like this. We do. Because we want to be self-sufficient with this. So in order to get our own microphones, Stephen, we have to sell 145 t-shirts. And how many have we sold? Uh, I think that right now we have sold somewhere around 28, but the margins were lower on the other ones. So we've picked out a different shirt that's actually higher quality, but we took the logo off the back. It's just the logo on the front now, okay. which hopefully people don't feel like they're getting gypped or anything. But now it looks like with the shirts that we have, we'd have to sell about 145. So we'll get on it, people. So if you guys can spare the cash and if you want us to have good mountain bike podcast content really good stuff, please continue. Um, If you want Jonathan to continue sounding as he quotes himself, like thunder and honey. Thunder and honey. Or like you, from Anchorman. From Anchorman, yeah. Yeah, Something about making... uh, You could make a Wolverine purr. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But if you like the sound, uh, let us know. Trainer Row would let us use these microphones forever because they're awesome. Uh, But at the same time, we just want to be self-sufficient with this. So. And also any extra from that will just go into making better content. Like if we get extra, then we will be able to go to races and get some unique stuff. So yeah, uh, it just helps us make more content. None of it's going back into our pockets. No. Uh, if anything, we'll it. buy stuff to give away. Exactly. That's <laughs> so. pretty much it. So anyways, that's it. Uh, go to mtbpodcast.com. You can find the store link on there and you can pick up some shirts. They're awesome. And let us know if you'd like to see anything else on there, some items that you'd like to get. We'll put them up there. Oh, along those lines, Stephen, and then we'll talk about this more later too, but we have stickers coming up soon too. So you'll be able to get some sweet stickers. Oh, yes. And to be podcast ones and also ones that say you like to party. So it'll be very good. Uh, You can find us on social channels at mtbpodcast.com or forgive me, just mtbpodcast or on Twitter, the mtbpodcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else. Uh, Give us a follow and tag us in your photos. It's always good times. You can leave a review for us on iTunes. We appreciate that. They're still coming in constantly. It's awesome. We'll review more of those next week. And Stephen, we have a few housekeeping items to do. And namely, we're a little late, but we also promised an episode that actually never happens. Yeah. We promised an episode from the TDS, from the the Dirty Sanchez Enduro, that happened last weekend. It didn't happen. I had crazy schedules. I had to get home. We had family dinners that were scheduled and it was rough. So we weren't able to make it happen. 
that said, we did go to TDS. We had lots of content at TDS, though, so yes. we kind of made up for it a little bit. Yes. So hopefully you saw some of the images we had and some of the videos. They were pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, with no further ado, Stephen, and actually, before we say that, we're just going to dedicate this episode, since it is taking, since it's a little late, we're going to dedicate this episode just after we go through some of the results from these big races that have happened entirely to your own questions. Yes. We got a lot of questions, and we aren't even, we are not going to get close to answering them all. No. But hopefully, uh, we knock a good chunk out. So. Yeah. But first, one last housekeeping. Yes. The contest for the tires. Oh, shoot. Yes. So out of everybody, there was there was a bunch of people that tagged us in photos and did things correctly. A bunch, a lot more people did them semi-correctly. Um, but Evan Smith. A for effort. Yeah. So Evan <laughs> Smith on Instagram, um, I'm going to message you tonight. Nice. I need your address. Uh, you just got to of the E13 TRS race tires. So, and I picked him because he posted two pictures and tagged us with him riding with his dog. Dogs win. Yeah, dogs win. Dogs win. Yeah, if if you're ever, you know, in another contest where you got to tag pictures, dogs give you an instant win. Soft spots for Steven and I. We love dogs. Uh, Steven, let's get into the news. News. News team, assemble! First thing, picking up right what we were just talking about, the TDS Enduro. Yes. It happens. It was 14 stages. Yes. we Seven s- each day? I think we ended up scrapping one, so it was seven okay. on the first day and six on the second day. Six on the second day. Yeah. In a really compact place. So first of all, it's in Nevada City on the it's Sanchez. It's in Grass Valley. Forgive not Nevada me. City. Grass Valley. And I have learned this weekend that there are distinct differences, or people like us to make a distinct difference. It feels all kind of like the same to me, but, you know, it could be wrong. So I'm probably going to get some hate mail for that. That's okay. Anyways, I like them both. Cool places. And the Sanchez family has an awesome ranch. Yes, 260 acres. But the race happens on a pretty small chunk of that. Yeah. That was the interesting thing to me. I I didn't know how long the connections are going to be or where, you know, the transfers or liaisons and and where it was going to sprawl. And it was pretty compact. Yeah. It's all really there's there's two spots that all the trails end up at Mm. on that side of the mountain. And they just interconnect and just like spaghetti all over the side of that mountain. It was crazy. It is. Like uh, you could walk 50 meters in one direction and you will guaranteed hit a trail. Yep. Uh, no matter what, in which direction. And when you're 50 meters away, you have no idea that that trail is there. Exactly. Like that's how it's really dense it thin. is. It's, I but, tried to fly my drone and I got up into the sky and I tried to find the gigantic Red Bull arch and the big starting area, like practically a village of humans. And I couldn't see anything. The growth is so thick. So yeah. I just brought it back down. It yeah. was, it was tough. Um, it was pretty warm that day. It was probably in the eighties. Now you were there Saturday on the first I was Saturday. Day. Yes. Yep. And it was a little warmer the next day, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't too humid. It can get pretty humid. Yeah, in no, it wasn't area. bad it at wasn't all. The, it wasn't too bad. The conditions were dry, which the conditions have been wet for a while now in terms of the, the past years, but yeah. It was dry conditions, but there are springs all over that mountain and they're constantly trickling down water. So there were still spots where they had to go through like trails. It was just like a little mini Creek that you had to go down. Yeah. And so the, the conditions were pretty ideal, all things considered. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, so a few things stood out to me about this race. Number one, it's totally unique. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's invite only. We've talked about that before. Invite only to race. To race. You can come up and spectate. And they encourage it. And it's actually one of the better places to spectate because Everything's every so 50, it's so compact. You can literally yep. walk from trail to trail to trail and get to all the good spots yep. within 
a mile of hiking. Total. You're there long before the the first racer comes down the the stage. Yeah, and the heckling is great. It's insane. It's but, awesome. There was if you go onto our Instagram channel, I'm sure you can see, but there was a there was a, a man wearing a horse head with a chainsaw. Uh, there was a man with a very small trumpet bugle thing. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Wasn't that what the South American, the like Vuvu Vesa thing? Vuvu Zellas were yeah, there. Those. Yeah, those were yeah. there. South, uh, yeah, South African ones. Yeah. Oh, those South African. Yes, South oh. African of origin. Yes. Interesting. And then uh, they also somebody had a slide whistle, like yeah. an old radio DJ. It was yep. pretty funny, and it was just great heckling. So. One of the tricks that we did when we were heckling was uh, silent cheers. That was yeah. a crowd favorite and Mason rider favorite. didn't like that one. No, he did and not. And he got that a lot. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, so silent cheers, basically everyone acts like they're cheering physically. So there's hand, you know, fists pumping and everyone's like really excited, but nobody makes a noise. Yeah. So the rider comes around and it's like surreal. It's very strange. Like, they don't really know here? what to do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, one guy made a mistake in a section and he like, you know, fell. And when he got back up and was getting on his bike, he was wondering why everybody was like acting like they were yelling and shaking their hands, but it was totally <laughs> Just, silent. And yeah. he asked, what's going on? And then everybody erupted and went crazy, yeah. but it was really funny. Yeah. So, uh, we would just like do, and we'd change the themes constantly. Uh, uh, we chanted safety first and probably one of the gnarliest sections, which made a guy kind of upset. Yeah. Uh, we also, didn't you, you started one where you were yelling pleasantries at people. Yes. Just kind comments. Didn't you talk to somebody about their tax portfolio? I told somebody that their tax portfolio was very impressive. Yeah, he was very confused. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. So, uh, if anybody's a soccer fan, they know about proper heckling and it's like, imagine a wild rowdy soccer match, which is a ton of fun if anybody's ever been to one. And that is the environment at that race. It's so much fun. Uh, also, the Sanchez family do a bunch of logistics, and they have a lot of helpers, you included, Stephen. You were driving that Polaris around the whole time, the yes, Polaris Ranger. Is. It's yeah. pretty sweet. But the, fam the family has a lot of helpers because they need it. They're running around because, like we said, it's like spaghetti all over. So in one stage, they might, you know, in within three stages, they might reuse a section, only a portion of a certain trail. Yeah. So they're resetting tape and they're rechanging things around. And it's just like it really keeps you on your toes. And I bet for the riders, it makes it a little more challenging because you have one day to pre-ride. Yeah. There's probably no way you can make sense of all that spaghetti no. beforehand. I, I still have, I still get confused riding there and I've been riding there for three years now. Right. Yeah. So it's actually a really cool aspect of it. You know, there's enduro for those that don't know, especially when it was new, there was a big conflict around whether you should pre-ride stages or not be able to pre-ride stages. Yeah. Cause there was kind of this pure form or this purist perspective that it's a pure form of mountain biking and you should not be, uh, you should not have any prior knowledge of the course. Yeah. It should just highlight your skill and, and your ability to act on your feet. And that's how enduro motocross is, is enduro. Is. You do that completely blind. Um, yep. so with the TDS enduro though, some of the stages were blind. Yes. They weren't, you, nobody knew what the stages were and they weren't allowed to, you know, pre-ride them at all. Yep. So it adds a really unique element, which a guy like Marco Osborne, who has spent a lot of time at that ranch, it still doesn't allow him to pull a massive lead. Right. No. And even though he knows so many of those trails really well. Yeah, but he doesn't know how they're going to interconnect them on a blind trail. Right. Which, or on a blind segment, should I say. Which is really important because enduro is a lot about dosing your efforts because you basically burn through a book of matches every time you go down. Yeah. So you have to know where to dose those efforts. And then technically speaking, the terrain is gnarly. So the dirt is like red clay, mm -hmm. but if it gets wet, it gets pretty slippery, kind of greasy. Yes. And then you have rocks and a lot of rocks. 
And they're usually wet. Yes, which means they're slippery. Yeah. And they're sharp and they're craggy and they're nasty and there are roots and there is poison oak everywhere. Yeah. So I wore long socks. I wore pants. I wore a long sleeve shirt and I managed to to come out okay. So no poison oak somehow. But Same. Pretty, yeah. It's 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 challenging terrain. There, in terms of results, let's get into that. Okay. Or is, is there anything else you want to cover, I guess? No. Okay, yeah. Oh, well, actually, one thing I do want to cover, the paddock area is awesome. Yeah. So like the main area, Red Bull was there with a, their gigantic, like old military truck that's also like a DJ slash whole concert venue. It's actually just a lifted like uh, international DT-466. Oh, really? Which is, yeah. And oh, it's just painted I it was like an old black. school. Oh, okay, yeah, it's like, it's, um, it's the same chassis that a lot of like... Uh, Nevada Division of Forestry and Cal gotcha. Fire use as like a brush crew truck. That's what gotcha. that is converted out to a DJ truck. That's yeah. all it is. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's um, like 52 inch Michelins. It's huge. It looks like it off-roads well. Yeah. But probably think goes barely off pavement ever. Right. Yeah. And then the Sanchez family built like a sky deck. They had a pump track. They had a huge ramp with a, for a whip challenge. They had they have the RC track, RC car they have track, the RC rock crawling courses. There's two of them. Yep. And I thought when I was out on the course, I thought, okay, everyone's already, like all the fans are out here. I went back and there were so many fans just partying it up back yeah. at there. In the, the middle of the race. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So let's get into results. Yes. Uh, first, let's handle the women's side of things. Joanna Patterson took it. Yeah. She took it again. Third yes. time in a row, I think. Third time in a row. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. Um, pretty solid. Um, Ariana Altier. I hope that's how you say yes. her last name. I didn't know that. So uh, she got second. Friend of the podcast. And also, we need we need you back, Amy. Again, Amy Morrison, you took third place. Yes. For and she rides for Marin WTB. And forgive me on the first two, you didn't have your sponsors listed on there, so I don't know uh, what your sponsors were. But Janea Perry, she rides for Marin KMC Honey Stinger E13 WTB, and she got fourth. Those are quite. That's yeah, Janea is actually um, Amy's. Uh, uh, teammate teammate so, yep yeah yeah so good job team third and fourth and then rachel pajot i hope that's i actually don't know how to pronounce rachel's last name rachel no. we apologize but you got fifth killer job on the yeah, fifth absolutely um also shouts to liz cunningham she came out from colorado and she crashed pretty much directly into me i was wearing an sb a yeti or a betty sb5 is like a hood ornament on my yeah. head yeah <laughs> so yeah it was pretty well good, she though. knew that you'd stop her and help her out i guess so yeah yeah, yeah. she i think she it was in a a really technical section and she fixated on me and her foot was already off and she was off balance and then it just all went over just head just over all heels. unraveled yep yeah. yeah it was pretty rough uh, men Marco Osborne took it WTB Cannondale rider no surprise no surprise uh, if I were to describe Marco's style which Marco has good technique yes uh, very good technique he also looks very aggressive if you were to take a picture of him but Marco is like, uh, he's like that old medieval guy that's like wearing, or, uh, not old, but he's like that medieval guy that's wearing like the steel armor and he's just swinging, swinging around a mace, a mace over, his over his head. Yeah. He just bludgeons his way through. Yeah. And he has the strength and the technique to pull it off. Yeah. It's pretty amazing it to is. watch him ride. Yeah. Uh, Dan Chang, he got second. He is from Taiwan. Yes. He rides for Giant X Fusion Novatech. And I like man crushed on his style on a bike. That's what you were saying on Saturday. Yeah. But he just, it's hard to take a bad photo of him. It is. Just because his style, like he just is that good all the way around. He is, he impressed me so much. He's, he, he weights his bike really well. He moves his, he transfers his body weight on the bike so fluidly. Yeah. Uh, he's just an incredible rider. Yeah. So kudos to him on getting second. I think that's his second TDS. Yes. Yeah. Last um, year, I believe he got second or third as well. 
Good job, man. You did awesome. Scott Countryman rides for Kona, uh, flag bike rev ride fast MRP. And by the way, we're not going to say everybody's sponsors in the other races, just this one because, and maybe in the whiskey off road, because I feel like these riders, it's nice to actually say out the sponsors. So yeah. if you hear one of these companies and you can throw some money their way, you should just because that's companies supporting racing. So yeah, good job, Scott. You got third Mason bond got fourth and he is also known as Dan Marino. If you don't know this, yeah, because they're, they're, they're kit, uh, from fly racing, sharp looking stuff, but they look exactly like the Miami dolphins. They, they pretty much have Miami dolphins colors. So yep. I cheered for him with his Dan Marino and then everybody else caught on to it. And people started doing the dolphin noise from Ace Ventura. It was great. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Mason, the best heckling came from him yeah. towards him all the way around. It was yeah. great. He got the silent heckle a lot. There was a lot of cussing back and forth. You know, <laughs> it was great. He was very upset that the fans were, you know, silent treating him <laughs> on his own trail. Yes. Essentially, that's where it all started. Yeah. It was good. It, it was, was good awesome. Show. And Corey Sullivan, another friend of the podcast, yep. Marin E13 Fox TRP WTB. That was fast. And an employee at E13. Yes. So he's the guy you talk to when you call... And you have sales and technical questions. Yes. Corey got fifth. And something I observed about Corey, Corey raced BMX back in the day and it shows, I'm sure other guys have raced BMX, but that guy out of the gate is insane. Yeah. Like I, I guarantee you he, in the first, I don't know, five seconds, I bet he already had half a second on everybody else. Just because of the way he can accelerate out of the gate. He picks the proper gear, which yeah. that's going to change depending on, on what the start is, right? Yeah. This had a ramp rolling in to flat. Uh, slightly downhill. So he picks the proper gear and then he has just such a hard snap and he's able to go through those gears so quickly. He's just, that was, I felt, felt like a key. So yeah, it's an awesome race. Uh, Sanchez family. Thank you for holding that race. Of course, Debbie, Ron, Carly, Casey, all of you did a phenomenal job this weekend That's awesome. and I'm, we're always happy to help. And riders from that race, if you are looking for photos, uh, just shoot us a DM on Instagram to the MTB podcast. I have a bunch of photos. So we'll send you a bunch of bike pics. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I see what you did there, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, let's go into now the other race that happened this weekend that we weren't at. Whiskey Off-Road, Epic Rides had that race. So that's in Prescott, Arizona. That's way, obviously, far farther away than where we, are, we were. But yeah. they have, like most Epic Rides... Forgive me. They have a 15 mile race, a 30 mile race, and then a 50 mile race, but they also have a fat tire criterium on the road in downtown Prescott beforehand. Yeah. And it's awesome. If you did one of these races, it's just like a total, it's a party. They even had Oza Motley. It's a band that some people may have heard of on uh, that are listening to this. Well, I guess a little more obscure. Their time has kind of passed, I guess, but really cool band. Okay. So they had them playing, which is awesome. Nice. Um, anyways, and the crits. Erin Huck from Cannondale Three, Walk, Three Rocks took it. Good job, Erin. Yes. She's been really fast this year, but uh, some wins have been evading her, so it's yeah. good to see. Kate Courtney from Specialized. She got second. Nice job, Kate Courtney. She's had a killer year. She's having a great year already. Yep. Katarina Nash from Cliff Bar. She got third. Awesome job. Katarina is a perennial champ. She's just awesome. Magalie Roche, she got she got fourth. She's on Katarina's team there at Cliff Bar. And Serena Bishop-Gordon got fifth, and she's on the live team. So that's the crit for women's. Yeah. Crit for men's. Sam Gaze took the win from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Dude's gnarly. Yeah. Todd Wells got second. Kudos, Todd. Nice work. And uh, something actually I should say really quick, your finish in the crit, it gives you your call-up for the race. Yeah. Which is 
less important when it is like just a long fire road when you start like last year at the Carson City off road but there may be some changes this year that's all I'm going to say going to be some changes with snow <laughs> so uh going back to it Jeff Kabush a uh, good man and he's spending actually some time up in Truckee in fact we may have him on the MTB podcast next week nice. we'll see so maybe yes, no promises maybe no promises so we'll have to see but uh will he get his own Wilson shield uh, yes, he will. Yeah, hopefully that's the plan. Cool. Uh, rides for Scott Maxis. Uh, so good job, Jeff. Got third. And then Derek Sandstra got fourth from Cannondale Three Rocks. And Howard Grotz got fifth. Howie, how hard Grotz uh, got fifth. So good job, Howard. Backcountry race. That's what they call the 50 miler. Women's Kate Courtney got first. Aaron Huck got second this time. And Rose Grant got third. Let's pause really quick, quick on Rose Grant. She got knee surgery back in the fall, early fall. Yeah. Then she came back and she was on the form of her life, doing well, sitting second in the pro or in the U.S. Cup Series. Yeah. And then she separated her shoulder the day after the race, I think, at Benelli. Okay. Oh, so what a bummer, man, yeah. to separate your shoulder like that. And so, but she got third in the so back in a fifty-mile race. Yeah. That's got to be brutal on a sore shoulder like oh, that. Oh yeah. Chloe Chloe Woodruff, uh, she got fourth, and they and Chloe and Rose ride for the stands no tubes pivot team, and Katarina Nash got fifth. Nice job, Katarina. Yep. Uh, men's, Sam Gaze once again, but this time Howard Grotz got second. And Christian Hynek, he's actually from the Czech Republic, I believe, and he got third. He rides for Canyon Aragon. Chris Blevins, who will be dominating things, my prediction, in the coming years. Okay. He got fourth, and he rides for Specialized. And Jeremiah Bishop, OG, got fifth. Yeah. So he's so good at these type of races. So. Yeah. That's uh, that's the whiskey off road, and we are looking forward to the Carson City off road when that happens. We yes. cannot wait for it to happen. Absolutely. If you haven't signed up yet for that one, you totally should. I think it's over seventy five percent full already. Maybe eighty. I think they only have yeah. It's it's close. It's like eighty five percent full or yeah. something. So it's close. Uh, then the last race to cover before we get into your questions is a little. It's a small thing that happened. I'm not sure if people really know about it. Lords DH. Yeah, yeah. UCI yeah. World Cup. You know. Yeah, that uh, thing. Yeah, it took. Yeah, that happened. Rachel Atherton got first. Not a big surprise. She's just insanely dominant. Tracy Hanna got second. Tawny Seagrave got third. Miriam Nicole got fourth, and Manon, Car Manon Carpenter got fifth. So good to see Manon Carpenter getting back up there. Uh, but Rachel Atherton, man, she is just on a different level again. Again, this season, last season, yeah, she's just—it's nuts. And she was at more of a disadvantage because she had some gnarly wins to deal with. Yeah, that the girls earlier on did because the wind started picking up at the end there. So yeah, like we said last week, they called for a hundred percent chance of rain, and they got a hundred percent of that and more. Yeah, and it there was no rain earlier on, and then the wind started coming, and then the photo or the the camera that's on the start box, you could hardly see the riders. Yeah, it was that foggy, crazy, and you could just the winds or the trees were whipping all over the place, and then the rain came in. So the rain didn't come in for the men in the beginning. And Alexander Fayol, I hope that's how you say his name, won his first race. He started pretty darn early, and I don't want to put an asterisk by it. Well, I guess I do want to put an asterisk by it, but I don't want to discredit him. It was a killer run. It's like the top 10 guys, the last 10 to race, actually raced a completely different race. They totally did. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, rain started coming down. It wasn't a total slop fest, but if you looked at it, everything kind of looked shiny. And it was one of, I think Aaron Gwynn might have said, the slippery, the slippy, 
the most slippery race he has ever done. Yeah. Almost and that's saying that. a lot from Gwyn. Oh yeah. So I almost did the dumb and dumber, slippy, slappy, slammy Samsonite <laughs> thing right there. Swanson? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark Wallace got second. Marcelo Gutierrez got third. Add a boy, Marcelo. That's good to see. I like Marcelo's style. He's crazy. Uh, Florent Payet, he got, he got fourth. Connor Fearon got fifth. And Connor Fearon's style is probably one of my favorites. That dude can corner. So, he can. Good job, Connor, getting the top five. Just for reference, okay? G. Atherton was seated. So the way that downhill works is you qualify and whoever's the first qualifier goes last on race day. So it's an inverted uh, race order. And, and G actually was kind of in the middle and he ended up placing 10th and he was five seconds down. But then once the weather started to hit, Greg Menard came down and I think it was Greg Menard said it was the slippery, most slippery race he's ever done. He got 59th. He was 16 seconds back. Yeah. And he probably handled the mud better than anybody I saw. It was really good. Then Danny Hart, your current world champion, he got 76th. But he finished. This Yes, the second to last finisher. Went down pretty hard. He was over a minute and four seconds behind. But he crashed like three times, didn't he? Yeah, he crashed pretty darn hard. Yeah. And then Aaron Gwynn, he got disqualified. Sad day. Went out of the tape and he cro- didn't go back. Yep, crashed out of the tape and then didn't climb back up around to where he went out. Just like skiing, you kind of have to do that. And he, so. he knew he was out at that point, so he, he didn't did. really care. He was just getting a free run out of it. Exactly. So with that, that covers the news, Stephen. Uh, no real new products to announce, I guess, this week. Uh, Nothing just of interest. Racing. Yes. And but, we've got some questions to answer. A lot of questions, like 70 in the last like 10 days. So we're going to try to rip through these quick. We're not going to answer all 70, no. but let's get into them. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. All right, Stephen, let's get it. First one, Michael. He says, hey, guys. First up, I'm from Australia, and I love your podcast. Well, good day, mate. <laughs> hey, important to put another shrimp on the Barbie, right? From Austria? Yeah, from Austria. No, <laughs> Australia. Oh, yes, yes. Different country. <laughs> yes. They're neighbors, but different. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber reference yes. again. Yeah, if anybody didn't catch that. I really don't think those are the same country. No, they're not. I should clarify. So he says, my question is about gear selection. I have only ever been a 3 by 9 rider. Front big ring was 42 teeth. When I ride and race cross country with this setup, I would normally use big ring, just the big ring and smash out all the gears on the back, meaning that he would just shift in the rear, but he would just keep it on the big ring. So in other words, he would ride a one by, but with a 46 tooth front ring. That doesn't sound very pleasant. No, that would be pretty rough. He says, I would only use the middle gear for ultra steep climbs. By the way, I have massive, powerful legs. Now I have a two by 11 system with a 34, 24 and a seven forty two rear cassette. How I think do you it's an eleven forty two. I think Because so. there's no such thing as a seven tooth. I think that the chain would just, <laughs> chain could probably even conform to a seven tooth. No. Yeah. So that's probably a typo. He says, now would you recommend smashing all the gears on the 34 ring or should I be dropping down to the 24? I know they used to say you can't do all the gears, the rear gears in the big ring on a three by nine setup, but this worked for me. And the reason people would say that is because of cross chain, cross chaining. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not a huge deal. It isn't. Yeah. He says, is the above rule still relevant to the new systems? I find the 34 tooth too small already and find myself spinning the legs too much in the 24. Um, so yeah, so he definitely doesn't have a seven if that's the case. <laughs> so personally what I would do, it sounds to me like he has an XT two by 11 setup being that he's got a 24 34. Um, personally, what I would do if I were him is I would run like a 38 tooth mm. or even a 40 tooth front chain ring. You yeah. know, that's big. That's yeah. a really big, but he, if he's got massive, powerful legs and we'll get into, <laughs> we'll get into that yeah. as a misnomer later and why that right. doesn't really matter. Um, but if he was to run, say a 38 tooth single ring, his 
if it is an XT8000 or XT8000 crank set, he can just put the one by wide wide setup mm. from Shimano mm-hmm. on that and just run a one by system because he really shouldn't need two by yeah, for all sounds, intents and purposes. Right. It especially sounds, with that 1142 in the rear. Yeah, great points. So it seems like he's got an aversion to shifting in the front. But he so, has an aversion to also going to a one by. Right. So, so I don't know. Yeah. The but as far as cross-chaining goes, no, you don't have to worry about that anymore because chain technology and cassette ramp technology has changed mm-hmm. astronomically, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. And yep. if you were to go to a one-by, you really don't have to worry about that because guess what? There's no such thing as cross-chaining. That's you true. just have one gear up front, so That's you're done. That's true. That's how it works. And, and something just to cover on the... the so you said that you have, you have massive, powerful legs and, and you're talking about mashing gears up big climbs. Having big legs, number one, doesn't like doesn't mean that you can push a harder gear or should push a harder gear. No, you shouldn't. No. You should um, push a proper cadence. Exactly, regardless of your leg strength. Now, also, leg strength is one part to the equation of power. Yes. So basically, if A plus B equals C, and you only have A, that does not equal C. No. The point of a bicycle or of riding a bicycle is not to have strength, but the point is to ha- be able to output power, right? Yeah. So you need two parts. You don't just need strength, you also need speed. Yeah. So and when I talk about speed, I'm talking about how quickly you're turning those pedals over, not just how hard you're pressing on them, but the two things combined. Yeah. So it's very important to understand. And I see a lot of people think that they're very powerful because they push a heavy gear and that's not true. Uh, Chris Froome rides at like 120 RPM when he attacks. He spins, a, he spins his legs su- super fast. He has more power than all of us. Yeah. So that's just, uh, so if you have that in your mind, remember when you're pressing hard on the pedals, that is not powerful. That is strength. And, and, and technically you're wasting a lot more energy by trying to push a bigger gear and yes. dropping your cadence. You may be putting out 1300 Watts or a thousand Watts or whatever it is in that big gear, but you're also burning a lot more calories to do the same speed you could be doing if you just increased your cadence and dropped your power output. Well, and really what you're doing is you're fatiguing your muscle exactly. fibers. Yep. So if you fatigue those muscle fibers, because you're doing something that's putting a very high st- amount of strain on them. If you're fatiguing those muscle fibers, you're only doing yourself a disservice because you are going to fatigue your muscles quicker and you are going to then experience fatigue on the bike and not be as fast. Yeah. So it really, you have to find an optimal cadence. Uh, Usually anything from 85 to 95 is recommended. Uh, I usually find that during road races, I'm usually around 100 to 105. And in mountain bike races, I usually sit around 90 to 95. That's what I have like on average cadence. I never think I need to ride at a higher cadence though. At first, when I started working on it, I did. Yeah. I thought about that a lot, but now, you know, you never think of it, but so that's just something to keep in mind when we look at single speed riders and think, Oh, such big, powerful guys. No, uh, they, you know, they don't actually aren't powerful. They may have leg strength, but that doesn't mean they're powerful. And in the world of cycling strength really doesn't matter a whole lot. If you can't add speed to that. Exactly. So you need that, you need that muscular endurance. So find that balance. But yeah, so getting back to your question in general, the two by system, you can do any gear up front with your 11 speed in the rear cross chaining is totally fine. But I think you're also, um, a candidate for a 38 tooth single ring up front and just run the one by 11. Yep. So that was a long one. That was, let's get into this one and make it happen. Ray, a guy mentioned his carpal tunnel and asked for, ask y'all for advice. I too have this issue. Y'all said great things. I like how he's saying y'all. I like that. Y'all it's much more convenient. I switched to, uh, to 760 from 640 millimeter bars. 
And he says they had better upswing and back sweep. And this helped tremendously. Perfect. Good. Good to hear. He said, one thing I would like to add was the discovery of wolf tooth's fat paw grips. They're slip on silicone grips. I sweat and they still grip amazingly. Second season and they're still brand new with 250 hours. That's impressive. We'll have to look at those. I actually did not know about these. I did know about them, but I didn't know that they lasted this long. Mm, nice. Pretty crazy. I know that they are a wider diameter than what I like. I like the ESI Racer's Edge because they're a little narrower. But um, yeah, anywho, they're cool grips. He says, uh, no need for lock on with these guys. It helps my numbness more than anything else. Combined with Pearl Izumi gel fingerless gloves has cut the numbness in a quarter. I would argue that having fingered gloves could be better. Uh, could be, yeah. yeah. But some good tips for anybody that's having numbness or carpal, t- carpal tunnel issues. No, we appreciate that, right? Heck yeah. If you have tips like that, you can send them in. We appreciate it. TJ, he says, hey guys, my brother turned me on to the podcast a couple weeks ago and I'm loving it. I'm currently three months into riding again after taking a four-year hiatus. I was able to score an 06 Kona Coiler for under 300 bucks and it's been a great bike for me to get back into the sport. I'm a sucker for good deals. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good deal. That is. That's pretty awesome. Uh, He says, my style of riding has always been a mix of free ride and downhill. When I got back into riding again, my only intention was just to ride tame trails and just have fun riding single track. (laughs) Nice try. Yeah, nice intention, right? Yep. (laughs) That mindset didn't last too long. I feel like I'm already back in form and have the same skill set as I did before I stopped riding four years ago. Since my bike is older, I immediately did some upgrades on it. Fork, rear shock, brakes, handlebars. But since I've been hucking, jumping, and throwing some chunk at the bike, I've noticed that some of the older parts on the bike are not cut out for that type of abuse. I'm trying to I'm trying to get more into the world of enduro since they're pretty much mini downhill bikes. So should I just keep upgrading this bike with the intent of purchasing a newer frame? Or should I just save, sell this one, and purchase a whole new bike? Keep in mind that throwing down a lot of cash for a new bike isn't really in the cards for me at the moment. However, I'll still need to have a working bike, so I'll have to replace any damaged or broken parts on my current bike anyway. Let me know what you think. Cheers. Well, at this point, the only thing that I see that you need an upgrade, TJ, is wheel set and drivetrain. Drivetrain will absolutely go from this bike over to a new frame, but the part you have to be careful on is wheel set because of the, the boost, you know, the boost changeover on a lot of frames. Now your Kona coiler is probably a QR 135 rear axle. And so you have to be careful of what wheel set you buy now in anticipation of what frame you're going to end up with next. Basically, if you get wheels for this bike, just know that they aren't going to transfer over. Or if you're going to go with something that's not boost as a new frame, make sure you get a wheel set that's convertible from 10 by 135 to a 12 by 142. Good point. Mavic wheels, DT Swiss wheels. There's, you know, there's a lot of brands that will have convertible end caps. So you're good there. But if you're going to go boost, just know that your front and rear axles will not convert over. Yes. I know that there is, you know, they make the boostinator set up and everything like that to actually space the rotor over properly. But I do not like those. They, it's, it's kind of a a hack way of putting things back together and it doesn't really work that well. Yeah. I wouldn't be a fan of doing that. Suspension also is something since 2006, there've been a lot of improvements. Yeah. Well, and he's already upgraded the shock and upgraded that, but you know, shock from a Kona coiler, not going to fit onto an SB six or not no. going to fit onto a nomad three, not going to, you know, so you have to be careful with what you're going to do there. Fork, as long as it's a tapered fork, but it's not because it's an 06 Kona coiler, it's, it's an inch and an eighth straight. Straight. So you're That's pretty much at this point, what you already have in that bike, most of it is not going to convert up. Right. So my, my advice would be to save. I would say save, ride this bike, keep, you know, fixing it as it breaks, but be very fiscally responsible about it and just save for a whole new bike. 
Gotta love standards. Yeah. Making things obsolete. Planned obsolescence. Yep. That's how it works. Brayden, I have a 2016 Trek, uh, Trek Remedy 929. It's a 140 mil 29er, if those don't know, or for anybody that doesn't know, that I used to ride the trails where I live. I also race in the Utah High School Mountain Bike League. Sweet. High School Mountain Bike Racers. My bike is great for normal trail riding, but I think it suffers in the cross-country races. Is there any setup choices that I could make to help me be faster in cross-country racing and be better at climbing? Fitness is certainly not the problem because I, because I swim competitively and our daily practices usually exceed 5,000 yards of swimming. That's a lot of yards of swimming <laughs> or as I call it, not drowning. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to, let's work backwards. I'm going to cover the fitness thing just because you swim competitively, competitively and have great fitness in the pool. That does not mean that you have bike fitness. That's like, uh, it's a one thing, a rule of thumb to always remember fitness from one sport does not transfer to another. You may have some cardiovascular conditioning that can aid, but muscularly speaking, you will not get the benefit that you are looking for. You will not have, you will not have overlap there. So while you may be fitter than the average kid for sure, uh, yeah. with swimming that much, uh, definitely fitter in a pool, you yeah. could probably drop them, but on the bike, somebody that's actually a lot less fit than you, but just has more cycling specific fitness built up, they could probably beat you. Form so, has a lot to do with it. Pedaling form. That there's too. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, and basically you're working your muscles in a totally different way. Yeah. Your muscles, they build strength and the ability to, to, I guess, be efficient and work efficiently in a specific pattern or in a spe specific way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, cyclists don't make great runners just naturally. Runners don't make great cyclists naturally, just like a football player isn't going to make a fantastic soccer player or anything else. It's just different. And I know it seems like your just heart and lungs are doing the work really on a bike, but no, it's, it's very different. Yeah. So fitness doesn't translate. Uh, Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. You may have some perks. You may be able to start things off a little easier than the average Joe, but, but you still have to work at your cycling fitness. It's not just there because you swim. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So, and I, I don't say that to, to discourage you, Braden. I say that so that you'll just know that, Hey, I might have a head start on some of these kids. And really what that actually says is, you know, what to do on how to get faster at a sport like this. Yeah. So if you can apply the same principles, man, you are ahead of the curve in that respect. Exactly. Absolutely. So, Yep. So good luck with that. But, yes. um, so the rest of it now, as far as the remedy goes, the remedy nines an alloy frame mm. can be a little bit heavier. Plus it's a 140 29er bike. Yeah. The remedy, uh, the remedy nine er big thing I'm going to say wheel set is going to be, you need to get some rotating mass off that bike. Yes. Um, and I know a lot of people say that rotating <clears throat> mass doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's not what it like in terms of the effect that it doesn't have as much effect as, as people think. When you're talking about mountain biking, there is a profound effect. Yeah. It, so for, for every, what is it at, I forget the speed that it is, but it's almost a six to one ratio, meaning one pound of extra wheel and tire mass is like six added onto your bike. There you go. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a big difference. And right. rotating mass is higher. It's harder to accelerate yep. and it's harder to slow down or decelerate and harder to maneuver move. and harder to maneuver. When, yep. Once you get the gyroscopic force of a 29 going, it's hard to get it to go off path turning. If it so has, it's just yeah. more work on you. Yep. So wheel set and tires, I think are a big thing. Um, I believe that's going to have a nicer Bontrager aluminum wheel set, but it's still going to be in the 1900 gram, 1850 to 1900 grams. If you could pick up something, if you're a light high school racer, maybe some stands crest, the new yeah. one 
ones, the Mark Threes. Yeah, you can drop down to like fifteen hundred grams. Yeah. yeah. Or you can do a really lightweight set of uh, like the the EX fifteen oh one twenty five internals from DT Swiss. Nice. That'll get you down. Um, there, there's a bunch of options in lightweight wheels. Other than that, I mean, you're really. It, it's hard to say that we could change these little parts here and there yep. and it's going to be better. The one thing you'll want to do is just make sure that you aren't positioned really far back on the bike you since it forward. is a little more trail oriented. So yeah. uh, consider rotating yourself forward around the axis of the bottom bracket. So that's how you, you, in other words, you'd want to have a stem that might be slightly longer and have that stem lower and then you would move your saddle forward. Yeah. But so. this also depends on your fit too. You don't just totally willy nilly go and change all this stuff. Nope. You don't. Yeah. It all depends on your fit. Yep. So like I said, that the one point that can't move on your bike is the bottom bracket. So everything should be relative to that. Yes. Nate, he says, I have a Yeti SP6 with internal cable routing. When I'm going through rough terrain, I can hear the cables slapping around inside the frame and it drives me nuts. I've just like the pirate, right? Arg, arg. I've tried zip ties and electrical tape where the cable enters the frame to try to tension the cable and shoving some foam pipe insulation through the down tube to no avail. To no avail. Any suggestions? So Nate, the one thing that I've done, and I do this on every Yeti that I build. In fact, I just, I just did it on this. Chad's build. That was cool. Um, so you go to Home Depot, and they have in their split foam pipe insulation section. Um, it's a half inch internal diameter and one and a half inch external diameter. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do is you have to make sure, first of all, that none of your cables inside your down tube are crossed. And what you end up doing, you have to remove the fork from the bike and you feed this pipe insulation. You remove the adhesive backing and you actually stick it together mm -hmm. and then you feed it up through the bottom of the headset. So the, the lower race, you feed it up in there and then take a 10 millimeter Allen P handle, like yep. a park P handle or some sort of larger tool, not a sharp one. You need something broad and big and you just slowly push that down into the down tube. You say that you've done the pipe insulation, but this is the fix that I did and shared with Yeti and they've shared it with a lot of their dealers and that's the fix for it. And I've yeah. never had one make a single noise. So you really great. have to pre cut a piece that goes essentially from where the cables go into the, the down tube almost to the bottom bracket. So it's like a 20 to 22 inch long piece and you just slowly feed a little bit up into the into the lower headset cup, push it down with that 10 millimeter, feed a little bit more and push it down. And if it doesn't go smoothly, you're binding up on cables or the cables are somehow crossed and you have to make sure that they're not. If you have crossed cables, they will make noise. Yeah. And so, so really that's, I mean, that is the fix for it. And I've never had one make a noise ever. Never. Yeah. So perhaps uh, retry the down tube insulation with some of those tips. Yeah. That could help. Scott, he says, hi, enjoying the podcast, especially like the recent suspension discussion. Very helpful. So here's a suspension upgrade or not question. I have a 2013 pivot LES with the Fox racing shocks. Uh, so 32 float 29 CTD with a remote or with remote at hundred millimeters. So he has a 32 up front and then he has the float, uh, or no 32 float 29 CTD is the fork up yeah. front and it's a 100 mil fork. So we're talking XC business over here and it's a pivot less. So there's no rear shock. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, just yeah. throwing that out there for yeah, you, bud. Good one. Based on your podcast, it seems like there have been a lot of important advances in forks since 2013. So would you upgrade this fork? And if so, to which one? This bike gets raced at various Marquette and Copper, Copper Harbor, Michigan XC races. This guy's a youper. That means Upper Peninsula guy, yeah. if you don't know. So pretty awesome. Uh, he says, climbs, rocks, roots, combos of old school and machine built trails. I have aspirations to race at 72 kilos, but let's just go with the rider weight of 81 kilos. Cheers. 
2013. Here, yeah, here, here's the beauty. I hated all the CTD forks. They were all terrible. They like were really I just bad. did not like any of them. Yeah. Um, Scott, beauty is it's a Fox 32. Guess what you can throw in there? You can throw any Fox 32 damper in there. You can throw the new Fit 4 in there. You can't throw the Stepcast damper, but you can throw mm. the typical Fit 4 damper out of a 32. Just order that from Fox. Put it in there. Be done. That's it. Sweet. And, you know, if you want, you can send it back to Fox, have them do a full overhaul and upgrade to the damper. You could also do that because you're probably going to need a rebuild at some point anyway. So you might as well just send it to them and say, hey, I also want to put the 2017 or now that the 2018s are getting ready to be released. Have them put the 2018 damper in and call it a day. Be done with it. I actually, yeah, and I've I've talked to a number of people that have ridden the Stepcast and they're just, I haven't ridden one myself. They're just not impressed. Yeah, well, it's just light. So, That's the only difference. That's, yeah, they notice some flex in it, though. Yeah, well, That's the main thing. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I would recommend doing what you just mentioned there, or I would recommend going to the RS1. I know it's cool to hate the RS1, but that fork is incredible it in is. terms of how it feels. Yeah. So, and for anybody, let's just squash this thing right now. For everybody that says the, that the fork twists, and when you sandwich the tire between your legs and then you start twisting the bars, well, yes. And so does every dirt bike. Yeah. Ryan Dungey's bike does that every race, yeah. and it seems to work out just fine for him. It's, so it's, it's it's a dumb way of putting a force on the front wheel and fork that is never going to be done in real life. Yes. So just get over it. It doesn't. The RS1 is actually a very stiff fork. Super stiff. Yeah. It makes your fork also, it makes your bike feel much more capable going downhill you'd be really surprised. Yeah. You you can have 120 millimeters of travel and it feels like more a lot of the time because number one, it's got really, it's really plush initially and then it's progressive. It ramps up and has great bottoming resistance, but it's also super stiff. So it tends to channel all of that movement just through the actual suspension action instead of having your little toothpick fork flexing around up there. Can I, can I go out on a limb and say that if RockShock made an RS1 160 Enduro fork, I would actually try it. Oh, heck yes, you would. I would. You would love it. I would probably love it. It's I mean, I love my lefty Supermax too. Yep, super good fork And that's as a well. weird fork, but really good. It is weird. Uh, Steven, why don't, you, why don't you read one off? Mike's question. I'm, I'm talking uh, a lot. Love the podcast, guys. Like others, I've listened to quite a few multiple times. We have a local multi-week XC series every fall. Five races over five consecutive weeks. How should I train for this to keep my fitness level up for the entire season? Thanks and keep up the great work. So this is clearly a Jonathan question. Indeed. Um, so I'll leave it to you. All right. Uh, so five races, five consecutive weeks. Uh, even for somebody that is really, uh, even for the most fit riders, maintaining peak fitness for five weeks is going to be really tough. Yeah. You might be lucky to you know stretch it up three, maybe even four, but five weeks is going to get pretty hard. So what I would do is I would plan to actually peak toward the end of that series. In that like way, fourth race or yep, fifth race. Exactly. Yeah. Fourth or fifth would be perfect. Yeah. So if you pick the fourth, that you should be able to carry peak fitness through that. So, and when I talk about reaching peak fitness, really that starts long before that time. So this is in the fall. So you might have, uh, you know, 20 weeks or so, maybe a little more uh, the, until this race. Yeah. So with 20 weeks, you'd be able to go through quite a lot and, and, and I'd say build a good foundation of fitness. So something that's tempting for a lot of people, they say, well, I'm already riding, I'm fit, I can ride with most people and, and I hang just fine. I probably don't need to do a lot of base training. And no. base training is, yeah, and that, exactly, it's incorrect. Base training is how you build. Yes. You have to build before or you have to 
base before you build. So. If I could liken it to concrete, you could go to a, you could go to a junkyard and pick up scraps of concrete, lay it down in a rectangle, even pat it down really hard. You could even put some glue on there, maybe some quickcrete on the cracks in between all these concrete pieces. You're still not going to have a good foundation to build a house on. If you actually want to have a foundation that will last for your house, you have to do the proper work and make sure that it's a sound foundation, right? Mm -hmm. So riding and doing interval workouts every once in a while, going for Strava segments, doing random races. Yes, you have fitness, but that doesn't mean that you actually have a solid base that you'll be able to build upon and have stability on for quite a while. Yeah. So, uh, and also base training does, is not just slow long days. No, right? it is not. You can do that if you want, but really what you're trying to do is you're trying to increase your aerobic capacity. Okay. You can do that one of two ways. Well, you can do it two different ways. I should say, if you're a professional cyclist and you have all the time in the world, or I don't know, you just have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of responsibilities and you can put in more than 13 hours a week on your bike. And, uh, then sure you can spend that just doing low intensity stuff and you can increase your aerobic capacity. That's why a lot of pro cyclists put in 25 hours and more, 30 hours and more a week. Yeah. They're just doing that and they're just, it's just low intensity stuff. They might mix in some hard stuff every once in a while, but it's mostly low intensity. So that can raise your aerobic capacity. That's kind of like raising the tide, rising the tide from the bottom. But the difficulty is most of us don't have enough time. And if we just ride low intensity, but we don't get past that 13 hour mark or somewhere around there, we're not going to get a lot of benefit. You, for, if the intensity is low, the volume has to be high right? Exactly. In order to hit that, strike that balance point. Conversely, if you have high intensity, you well, you kind of have to keep the volume low because you just can't do too much of it. You're, yeah. you get too tired. So another way to raise your aerobic capacity is to be doing something called sweet spot work. And trainer road has this all laid out in their training plans. All you, it's easy. You just sign up and pick a plan and it tells you what to do. But this spot we're talking about, you know, that 88 to 90, you know, six around there, 94% of your, of your functional threshold power and that are 82 and up, forgive me. Yeah. So that's that spot where you are working hard and you're getting a lot of work done. Yes. Right. So your body is doing a lot of work, it's still aerobic work. You aren't going over your threshold. Uh, you're getting really close to it. But the cool thing is with sweet spot work, you can do a lot of it. It's not like when you ride at threshold or above threshold and you can't do too much of that. You have to shut it down and, do, and put that into interval work. And then you also have to recover maybe some extra time after that. Yeah. With sweet spot work, you can do a lot of it. Yes. So because it's not putting that, that demand on your body where you're crossing that aerobic, you know, capacitor, I should say where you're crossing over in your functional threshold there. So, uh, my advice is to actually do the crazy thing. And of course I would recommend that you use trainer road to do the plan. It's best. But my advice would be to focus on that spot where you're riding and your legs feel like they're just lighting up and they're and you feel like I could stay right here, but if I go any harder, they're going to pop stick just below that region and, you know, get used to spending 10 minutes, then 15 minutes, then 20 minutes at that spot, and then try to fit in three of those in a workout. And so, that's, that's called interval training. Indeed. Yeah. And then shrink the rests over time. So yeah. if you're doing five minute rest between great next week, go for three minutes. The next week after that, go for two minutes. And then after that, if you've been doing 10 minute intervals, just put it together and make it a 20 minute interval and do that twice. Yeah. And, and if you can do that, then you can work things up. The only thing that I would say is every three weeks that you build fourth week, take it easy. 
So then your body can absorb that stress. Yes. So I would say do some base training through the summer. Sounds crazy. Uh, but you'll still be plenty fast too. And it will be really good. You'll get faster the whole time. Yep. And the beauty of also getting back to the very beginning where we're talking about focusing your effort to be, you know, to be at your max, the fourth and fifth race is you can always pull that up a little bit and give it more effort in the second, third races. Yep. If you have to, to gain the points, cause it's, you know, when it's with a series, you're also talking about the overall, not just each individual race. So if you need to make up points, you can also give it a little bit more effort at the beginning, whereas you can't hindsight be like, oh, I should have done that. So right. You can exactly. always adjust that up a little bit, but you can't throw it back. You can't yeah. give it all the gas on one yeah. race and then hope to have something left for race two, three, four, and five. It's true. So what you'll need to do after you work through, uh, you know, eight weeks of base training, anything like that, if you want, uh, six weeks of it, something yeah. like that, uh, if you're already riding. Uh, you know, run through six or eight weeks of that where you're just spending more and more time around that spot, just flirting with your threshold. Then do your higher intensity stuff. Be spending three minutes, and this is a, you know, obviously a number, but at 120% of your threshold. So that's where you're breathing really hard, and three minutes should feel really freaking hard, and you are eager for a rest. So this is like your three-minute max, so to speak. So uh, do three minutes and then give yourself adequate rest in between them at first and then start to shrink that rest. And then do a, a favorite of mine as I'm getting closer to races is what I call like race start intervals. And basically that's start out with a minute or, you know, be somewhere around there as hard as you can for a minute. And then after that, right after that minute, drop back down to your threshold. So that spot where your legs feel like they're filling up again. And then don't let yourself fall away from that for another 10 minutes. It's really freaking hard. Sounds terrible. But if you do that and you can repeat that multiple times in a workout, yep. that's going to, that's to the type of fitness that will translate right over. So like I said, this, all this stuff is really hard to make sure that you're trending it appropriately and growing, uh, your, your, your growing your intensity and offsetting it with adequate rest. But another plug for trainer road, since we're using their microphones and it's awesome. It's so easy. You just pick a training plan and it's 12 bucks a month. And then it walks you through and tells you what to do. So it just does everything for you. It's really easy. So yeah, I would recommend doing that. Uh, Brian, uh, do you want to read his question there too, Steven? Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, love the podcast. My current bike is a 27.5 Santa Cruz Bantam. I love my bike, but I want to get new wheels. Since my bike is pre-boost, should I bother getting carbon wheels? I have my eye on a, on some noble wheels, but if I want to take those wheels to my next bike, I will, will be, I will, I be out of luck or should I just get some cheaper stands wheels and save the money for the next bike? Mm. Brian, um, that's a good question. And that's what I always, you know, worry about with people. Should I spend $3,000 on a set of envies when I'm going to have to rebuild them into boost wheels later? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and let's be real. Very few people actually get their wheels rebuilt. Exactly. They just you know. end up selling them and getting another set of wheels. Yep. So, cause it is expensive to relace a new set of hubs onto a wheel yep. and spokes are bad. So you're pretty much just ending up with the rims at right. that point. So, um, honestly, Brian, I would just say, get a good set of, of lighter aluminum wheels on this bike. Yeah. Don't worry about, you know, don't worry about nobles. Don't worry about envies. Don't do any of that. Just enjoy the bike as it is and get a good set of alloy wheels. Yep. That's it. I agree. JP. Hey guys, technical question or technique question. I just finished up the whiskey off road this weekend. Nice work, man. Good job. And he says, and I noticed the pros tend to stay in a tougher gear and come up out of the saddle on all types of climbs. I find myself often finding an easier gear and staying seated. Is this just a difference in fitness or is it intentional on their part? Thanks. 
So this is actually something that's pretty, um, so there, we can explain exactly why the pros are doing this. They're staying in a tougher gear because they don't want to be in a gear where if an attack happens and they have to respond to that, they'll have to shift. Yep. So you'll see them go into a harder gear and they're also doing that because they know that if they're strong enough to push things hard on a climb and thin things out, then that only favors them. Right. So, but that's why you'll see a lot of them push into a harder gear like that. You'll notice them looking around a lot too, because they're waiting for an attack to go and they don't want to be spinning at 120 RPM really quickly and running out of gears and having to possibly drop a chain or something. And attacks usually happen on hills. So that's, that's true. Yeah. Yep. So, and but then they're out also, of the saddle really quick on that. Yeah. So the reason that they're out of the saddle as well is so that they can respond quicker with more force to get more speed going like that really quickly. So they can have a faster acceleration if an attack happens. And the, the thing you got to remember is pros have worked on their pedal stroke efficiency yeah. and they can actually, uh, they can actually pedal efficiently standing up at a ridiculous rate like most people yeah. can't even comprehend yeah. like you think when you're standing up you're just quad mashing these guys can pull 85 to 90 percent efficiency while standing up a hill in a harder gear but you also have to remember they're going faster than you up the hill yeah. and they're also pushing a proper cadence for their power and for all of that they're they're able um, to stand be efficient have the cadence and still get up the hill mm -hmm. so that's why you're seeing that weird combination of stuff yeah and also a lot of the time they're think of how much time they're spending in the saddle yeah. throughout the race. It's giving them a, a, a break. So it gives them a break. And it also works different muscles differently when you get out of the saddle than when you're seated. So that's a good opportunity for them to give not only, you know, the, themselves a change in position to relax their back or anything else like that. Yeah. It also gives them a great opportunity to work muscles slightly differently and give them some reprieve. So Andrew, uh, he's, this one's a long one. He says, Hey guys, thanks for taking my question. Absolutely hooked on the podcast. I'm learning so many things about the different biking disciplines that I didn't even know I had interest in learning about five stars for sure. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, sir. Five stars are good. And you can leave a five-star review. You should just go look us up on iTunes, leave a review there. And if it isn't a five-star review, let us know what we can change to make it a five-star review. Anyways, I'm thinking that this is going to be a new bike year. Yay. Yay. New bike year is that's, good. That's always a good one. I found myself liking Yeti's lineup more and more, the more and more I look at it. And with both of you being big Yeti guys, I figured you'd be a good pair to shed some light on my question before I throw a big pile of my hard-earned dollars at the company. Coming from a Santa Cruz Nomad 3, not a bad bike. No. I've been really keen on the idea of a little less travel. I've heard that from a lot of Nomad owners. Yeah. Something a little less monster truck-like and a little more sporty. I found myself gravitating towards the SB5C with my idea being to build it up a little burlier to handle some of the more aggressive trails in the NorCal area. Santa Cruz, Downeyville, Tahoe, et cetera. Cool. Sweet bike. And also something really quick on this, uh, that sporty feel that he's talking about, Yetis have a sporty feel. They do. That uh, The Jekyll that I rode the other day didn't really have a sporty feel, but it had just a monster truck feel. Like yeah. I felt like I could roll over everything, right? So... Uh, so he's on the right track with what he's looking for. He says, however, I've got some concern over the float DPS that comes stock on the five. My concerns are coming from two places. First, in its ability to perform without fading on sustained aggressive downhills. And second, in its lack of adjustability compared to some of the bigger shocks out there. And what he's talking about there is he doesn't have low and high speed compression, right? Or low and high speed rebound. Yeah. So, uh, he says, I really love having the ability to dial in the high and low speed compression and rebound exactly how I like. And I don't know if I'm completely comfortable giving that up. 
having never ridden that particular shock before. So I've been entertaining the idea of swapping the DPS out for a Flow X2 now that Fox has announced that the 2018 shocks will be available in metric sizing, which that is what uh, the factory team does, right? Yep. They run X2s on there. Yeah, they do. He says, however, both Yeti and Fox have commented that they've been unable to find the tune of the XT that really works well for the Switch Infinity Switch Infinity platform, and therefore they won't recommend the shock. I don't think that's That's actually actually not. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, because there is no such thing as a tune in those X2 shocks, whether it's the DHX2 or the Float X2. It is infinite adjustability on all four high and low speed compression, high and low speed rebound. So it's infinite adjustability, no matter what the bike is. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So we should cover that really quick. I mean, a DPS, it doesn't have high speed, low speed compression. No. And then high speed, low speed rebound, any of that business. That's why it comes pre-tuned. That's why. Within, yes. And then when I say pre-tuned, you can still adjust things on it, but it's got a certain tolerance range that it's set up to handle. Which is like all normal shocks. That's how they are. They have a specific compression and rebound tune, which is different size springs and different size um, orifices inside the actual valving where the yes. oil circuits are. Exactly. Now, when we're talking about the X2 that doesn't have that, that you have all the adjustability to define that yourself. Yes. That's the key. So he says, we saw the Yeti guys running the X2 on the five in the first two rounds of EWS, but unsurprisingly, they're running a one-off tune in their individual setups. Once again, I'm not sure where that comes from because, well, I mean, yeah, technically I guess it is a one-off because they've tuned it themselves, but yeah. you can have that Everybody tune. has <laughs> yeah. a one-off tune exactly. in every... Yeah, you can have it. Uh, he says, so my question is, would I be doing myself a disservice by attempting to make the shock work on this bike? No. Might it be worth looking into a custom tune from Avalanche, Push, etc.? No. <laughs> you, you can do it yourself, get, Andrew. Get a Float X2. It's a sweet shot. Adjust it. I, I had the DHX2 on my Yeti 5.5 last year, and everybody told me, well, no one's ever done it. We don't know how it's going to work out. I put yeah. that thing on it, and I did the DHX2, obviously, but that's the most amazing shock. Granted, yep. it's not the metric sizing, but that has nothing to do with the shock's performance at all. None at all. Put a Float X2 on the new Yeti 5, the new 5 Turk series, yep. and be or done carbon. with it. Or the carbon series, whatever you end up going with. Yep. And be done with it. It's an infinitely tunable shock. There is no specific tune. Therefore, they're just not going to give you a guideline of, oh, we think it's going to be about this on your bike. Right. You're just going to have to get on it and go ride, which is exactly what I had to do. And it took me all of 15 minutes. I literally rode a mile from my house, got to the top of the zipper trail, you know. Yep. um, And our good friend Pierce Moran, he and I went up there and it took three turns, made one adjustment, climbed back up. Made those three turns again. I said, perfect. Went to Mammoth, did the Kamikaze games, never made an adjustment since on that bike. Right. So you can dial it in yourself. And also, yes. if you if you don't want to run the X2, then consider a Super Deluxe. Yeah, the, uh, the Super Rock Deluxe Shops. would be good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to have high and low speed compression and high and low speed rebound. You're going to have to get into the Vivid Airs and all that to get to that level. But, right. uh, but it is available and as well. And you can run the Vivid Air too. On yes, that. you can. Yeah. You can. So that's because they do option. have metric sizing. That's the one thing where Fox is a little bit behind. Right. So those are options for you. Uh, and I'd recommend it. It's a sweet bike. All right, Steven, this next one is a Shimano thing. Can so you, you know everything. I know. <laughs> so this is, this is yeah. from Jonathan, not you. Not me. Uh, <laughs> what if, how funny would that be if I actually, because I actually would need to ask questions about Shimano things. What if I submitted questions to you? Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be actually funny. Anyways. 
So, hey guys, I love the podcast. I look forward to listening every week. I have Shimano XTR M980 shifters and just purchased a set of Shimano M8000 XT brakes. I would like to attach, attach the shifters to the brake levers using the iSpec attachment. Can we talk really quick about what iSpec is? So, what iSpec is, for those of you who don't know Shimano, it's a way of integrating the brake lever clamp yeah. and the shifter into one assembly similar to SRAM's matchmaker. Gotcha. So that's so it's just an integration thing for putting your shifter with your brake lever. Nice. Instead of having two separate clamps on the bars. Which is always really nice. It's always nice, yeah. Yeah. Um where was he? I would like to attach the shifters to the brake levers using the iSpec attachment, but the brakes are iSpec 2 and the shifters are iSpec B. So they have different standards? Well, they they had one standard before. The iSpec AB was a very very odd and hard to work with. Okay. Setup and it was it was actually they kept they would always come loose. The shifter would always end mm-hmm. up loose and it was really hard to retighten. It's it's just in a weird position and they were right. just a pain to work with. Okay. The new version is iSpec 2. Gotcha. And it's a lot more foolproof. It's very simple and easy and straightforward. It's pretty cool. I like it. Nice. And it's actually lighter than a matchmaker setup um, from SRAM, which, you know, that's just one dig on you. Um, (laughs) I haven't been able to find any adapters to make them compatible with each other. Do you guys know of any way or any companies that make an adapter? Unfortunately, Jonathan, I have never found anything that mates iSpec AB to iSpec 2 or vice versa. Hmm. The only thing that I can tell you is you have the M980 shifters. You can go to the new M980, well, not new, but they were the newer version. They were the 985 mm. 10-speed shifters, both front and rear, and you sh- you can run that setup, and that will be iSpec 2. That's the okay. only way that I know to do that. And those shifters you'll probably find pretty cheap online somewhere since they are technically discontinued. Right. So that might be cheaper than adapters anyway. Hmm. So, but that's the only way that I know how to do it. And short of that, I have nothing for you. And I apologize. There you go. Since you took a, a dig on SRAM, I could just say switch it out for SRAM and get Matchmaker. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Avid breaks. Yeah. <laughs> Next <laughs> question <point>. from Wade. <laughs> yes. It says, hey guys, great show. I'm learning a bunch and actually only on episode eight and trying to catch up to real time. Hurry up. <laughs> Despite being a new podcast, you guys are coming across as very polished and the format works awesome. Great stuff. And please keep it up. Thanks, man. Very kind words. I always tell people that episode three was kind of where we caught our groove and kind of wind hit the sails and we were doing good. Yeah, we were like, before that, we were like awkward zit-faced teens at yeah. prom. I have to ask my manager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, were, we were trying to slow dance and it was really weird. Yeah, Didn't know what bad. to do with my hands. Yeah. It was really awkward. So yeah. anyways, I'm a 40 plus guy who's been riding MTBs for a long time, but the stresses of driving a desk all week to pay the pay, to pay for my thrills on the hills have put me a bit out of shape and about 30 to 35 pounds over my ideal riding weight. I want to get stronger and faster on the bike. Right now, I feel like I have no one to ride with. I'm too slow for the in-shape crowd that run the trails, and I ride faster than those that are not. I tend, or he says... uh, On Strava. On Strava. Forgive me. There we are. On Strava, I tend to be right in the middle of the pack and all my segments, a little forward on the descents, a little backward on the climbs. I'm refocused, stoked about, and committed to improving my health and strength and conditioning on the bike to move up in the pack. I'm setting about to fi- to fixing myself through diet and indoor training combined with a weekend of riding. So he also mentioned within here that he has a kicker and he's got a Mojo HD3, I think, okay. as well. And it's all set up and he's, so he's got everything he needs. Yeah. 
I finally arrived at a point financially where I'm able to afford to measure my physical decline with all the very latest and greatest technologies. <laughs> That's Good. awesome. And I want to set that decline on a very long and shallow glide path. My plan is to launch into a training program tonight with Trainer Road's software by beginning with the Sweet Spot Base program. Atta boy. Good job. Way to go. My goal for this season is to defeat my nemesis, a grueling technical climb called the Snaggle. Or actually just Snaggle, but I liked adding the to that one. I like the Snaggle. The Snaggle. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, he says, uh, he says... Uh, he says he also says that he lacks that he lacks fitness and probably technical skills to clear it entirely in one continuous effort. The climb is probably an eight to nine minute climb for those that actually ride the whole thing, and it comes on the heels of a twenty to twenty two minute stretch of punchy up and down technical riding. Sounds challenging. Yeah, sounds like a snaggle. Yeah. yeah. Number one, what advice do you have for a guy like me who is 40 plus, a bit out of shape, desk driving wannabe shredder, and who is just getting started on a real committed effort to getting stronger in climbs and faster all around on the trails? Okay. Uh, since you drive a desk, which I do as well, yes. I work for an engineering firm and I sit at a desk and drive it, you know, for with all three of my monitors for, you know, 30 hours a week yes. on top of school. Yes. Um, I went to a yoga ball as my desk chair, and that helps oh. with core strength. Because I sit on the yoga ball Indian style and I force myself to use my core. Whoa, so, Indian style. Yeah, so that that's helps. Like a, that's like an OSHA violation there. It might You're be. I'm wearing a hard hat. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not wearing a hard hat. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, but also standing desk options are yep. really good for keeping you, you know, out of the laziness mode and keeping you up and actually working. I have a Jarvis standing desk. Uh, really good. Fancy. Yes, it's fancy. You can preset different heights. Uh, I personally like to set the low uh, position when I'm seated very low. That way I can't brace myself on the desk. Uh, so that way what it does is, and then I basically, I, I, all of my point is to stop myself from leaning forward and actually to lean back in my chair. Okay. And if I'm doing that, then I'm having more proper posture, right? Okay. So instead of leaning forward or having the desk high enough that I would brace myself against it, I don't want to do that. So my desk is really low. And then when I'm standing, it's actually at a position so that my hands, it's not super high so that I'm leaning into the screen again. And it's also not low so that I'm leaning forward. It's just right where if I were to leave my arms at my side and then have my, my just at 90 degrees, that's where my, my keyboard is and everything else. Okay. So that's one thing that I would say. Also, raise your monitor up. That can help too with positioning. Yeah. So that way you're looking straight at it. Uh, in terms of other things, I would recommend, so I drink water a lot every day out of a small cup and not too small. It's like a, it's like a coffee mug. In other words, I don't have like a big tumbler or something like that or a water bottle. So you have to get up and fill it. Yep. And I, that makes me get up and fill it every about 30 minutes or so. And that is something that I've used to great effect just to be able to get up and move a bit. Uh, so that helps. I'd also recommend, uh, doing things when we're talking about getting faster on the bike, there are certain like movements that you can do that are really easy. If you have an office and it's okay to do this type of thing, you can do like, uh, you can do get ups. Uh, you can look that up to see what that is. Uh, you can do get ups. You can do, uh, geez, um, Renegades is another one that's good for mountain biking. So basically it's a push up, and you usually use some type of dumbbell or kettlebell, uh, but you don't technically need a weight. Yeah. Yes. You could do it without the weight, but it is much better with, and you basically do a push up, Then you come up and you do, you stay in the push up position, but you row that weight up to your shoulder roughly in that area. So it's a good core exercise for you to do as well. Cause it really forces you to be stable with your core when you do that. So there are little things you can do there. Number two, and then also you're doing the right thing with trainer road, by the way, if you are crunched for time, it's the best way to make sure that you're getting in quality. So bang for your buck. 
Number two, how do people like me with somewhat complicated professional lives that involve long work days, 12 to 14 hours in my case, with screwed up sleeping patterns and some occasional travel work around these obstructions to a training program? That's uh, hard. Yeah. The travel's the worst part and mm -hmm. quality sleep is huge. Yeah, it is. That's the big part. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the be the biggest one, yeah. So I, I so f first of all, always err on the side of recovery. Yeah. And what I mean by that is basically if you feel fatigued and you're coming into a workout and you feel like you can't finish that workout and you're just completely worked, try turning down the workout intensity. Oh, actually, first thing I would do is just try backpedaling for five seconds in the middle of that interval You'd be and then get back into it. Yep. Yeah. And then get back into it. If that doesn't work, then try turning down the, the workout intensity just a bit, 5% maybe. Yeah. If you have to turn it down more than 5% to finish it, call it a day. Yeah. And, and then just rest as much as you can. You have to offset the amount of work you're doing with rest, and that will change as your schedule dictates that. So if you simply are going to be really busy for a while and you won't be able to recover as much, then you should know that your training also has to decrease. That's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. So always err on the side of recovery. Uh, and if you do that, you shouldn't find yourself in a hole where you're too fatigued. If you are in a situation where you're, where you're traveling, try a spin bike at a gym. You can get in something. Just don't worry about it being too high quality, but yeah. you can get something. And more than anything, a lot of the time, that just tends to be kind of a physiological benefit. Yeah. Or sorry, a, a psychological benefit oh, more than gotcha. physiological. Yeah. yeah. Um, and honestly, if you're working 10 to 12 or 12 to 14 hours a day, um, a biggest thing when you get up in the morning, I would do your workouts in the morning, just mm -hmm. do your trainer road, sweet spots. They're 60 minutes. They're not a huge deal. Some of them are shorter. Yeah. And I think there's a couple 90 minutes in sweet spot based yep. one. Yeah. And we've, yeah. And there are a little, there are more 90 minute workouts. And now you can basically, if there's a workout that's 90 minutes and you won't be able to fit it in, you can look through the workout library and there should be a 60 minute variation now. Yeah. So biggest thing is get your workout in like early in the morning before you start your day. And I always find that working out in the mornings usually makes me feel better throughout my day anyway. Yeah. So that's always a good idea too. just get your workout done in the morning, then go to work, spend your 12 to 14 hours, whatever it ends up being. Your workout is now done and you don't have to worry about work getting in the way. Yep. It's really effective. Yeah. And the other thing about that too, is you can time it with fasted training very easily. Yeah. So basically if you eat dinner at six, then don't eat anything after that sleep, wake up. You are never in a fully glycogen depleted state. That would probably mean death, but you are in a more depleted state than normal. Yeah. And then if you start your workout, you will deplete that even more. And then post-workout, uh, you'll refuel somewhat, but you'll, with 16 to 90 minutes, you don't really need a recovery drink. No. Uh, it's, it's, but you do need needed. breakfast afterwards. But yes, eat some food afterward. But what that can do a lot of the time is just since you are glycogen depleted, your body may, especially if it's a lower intensity workout, uh, it can develop, and this is different for each person, but it can develop greater utilization or tendency toward utilization of fat stores that you have. So basically it's saying, huh, don't have a whole lot of glycogen. What else do I have on the menu today? And it'll say, well, I've got all this fat stored all around that. This and we're not calling you fat Wade. No, we're just saying you have fat all, stores. <laughs> yes. All of us do. Yeah. Yeah. All of us do. So uh, that can be a good way to handle that too. Uh, you start those workouts without eating anything beforehand. Just know that if it is a harder, more intense workout, it's going to feel really hard if you're in a fasted state. Yeah. If you're loaded up on glycogen, it makes things a whole lot easier. Yeah. So with that, Steven, man, that was a lot of questions. That was a lot of questions, but we got through it. Yeah. And the Wolverine is still purring. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hopefully we can get through the rest of the questions next week. Yes. Uh, and you can submit them. Just go to mtbpodcast.com and you can submit your questions there. Let's Yay, close. tips. Yes. Let's tips. close it out with the tips. You don't care. They're counting on your tips to live.
Steven will be putting up some pictures of this. You may have already seen a picture on you my- cheated. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't help it. That's okay. Uh, you may have already seen a picture on my social channels, Lee Jonathan underscore, but on there you can see Project Aurora. Yeah. It's, it's finally complete. She's done. Decals are there. It's beautiful. She pretty. Yes. I like her a lot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very pretty bike. Yeah. Uh, and it's, so it's XTR, MV uh, stuff on there. It's a MV race face mix. And then it's got, uh, so the XTR DI2, I should say. Yeah. And then uh, Yeti SB55, Fox transfer post with black stanchion. And then custom built Fox factory stuff that's all black. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then custom decals by Tech One Designs. That's my pick for yeah. this. Uh, that's my tip, I should say. Tech One Designs, uh, it's a company that I actually helped uh, start a ways, uh, a ways back now, uh, years ago. Mm -hmm. And they make Moto Graphics, a pretty sweet company. And it's T-E-C-H-O-N-E, -E, Tech One Designs. And a great guy named Jamie runs that company now, uh, just an awesome guy. And I worked with him to print the decals, and they are so nice. They're like super like glossy, which is nice. Yeah. They have a durable UV laminate on them. So then they won't fade, which is awesome. I mean, though they will fade like everything else, but of they course. have a high resistance to it. Yeah. And it also uses a really high end adhesive on there. It's not going to damage anything like paint, but it actually stays down. And I noticed awesome. these decals are pretty substantial and probably offer some really good protection, yes. especially on the rims from, you know, any sort of rock bites or anything like that. Yeah, if anybody has uh, ever ordered InvisiFrame, which is another awesome product, yeah. really good company. If anybody's ever ordered InvisiFrame stuff, they make um, they they make they use uh, the clear laminate that goes over this. It's very similar to that. Yeah. So really high end, strong stuff. Yeah. So yeah, uh, they are going to start doing mountain bike stuff. So if you have questions on that, it's probably actually best to just reach out to Tech One Designs on Instagram. You can find them there mm -hmm. and ask them and see what you can do for graphics. And then that'll just let them know that it's more in demand and they'll start printing some mountain bike stuff. Yay. So pretty cool. That's mine. So my tip, uh, another car thing. Yes. I've had a bunch of those. Yeah. So we finally got around after TDS when things started calming down. I finally got with my fabrication guy, um, Ray Cunningham. He's... Um, he owns a company called DRC Racecraft, and if you're in the WRX STI road racing world, or even rally world, so vape life. Uh, no, 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 no. The real. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. STI. So not vape life. Yeah, not vape life. Okay, no. yeah. The sorry. real STI. Road sorry racing. to anybody that owns an STI. They're cool cars. Yeah, we are sorry. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a funny cultural thing. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so he's known worldwide. He's got one of the fastest STIs in the world on a road course. In fact, um, this last weekend at Thunder Hill behind two open wheel cars, his is the fastest at the, uh, at oh, the, wow. the SCCA time trial. It's a fat, it's 675 wheel horsepower. I mean, yeah. Meaning horses in the power horsepower. Yeah. yeah. It's gnarly. Yes. But anyway, so, and it's a reliable, it doesn't blow up like all the other supers, um, doesn't which vape. is, it doesn't vape either. Oh, shoot. So he, uh, so he's my fabrication guy. Yep. You know, we got around to doing it, uh, getting the brackets all done. I did a CAD drawing, had the water jet guys cut them out. We melted some stuff together with a Miller welder, and uh, got the uh, the new Pro Six light bar. It's it's not awesome. a light bar. No, it's a light. It's the it's anti light bar. It's an array of uh, it's the new Pro Six system from uh, Casey Highlights is what they call an infinity ring setup. So it's like their old school six inch light bar lights, yeah. but they're all LED. They use ten watt 
there's two 10 watt Cree LEDs in each reflector housing, and it uses reflection instead of direct glare. Um, the thing is, if you're above the cutoff, it's like a low beam on a car. You can barely tell they're on. Yeah. You get into it and it sends, which getting into off-road lighting, it sends solid zone four lighting out, which is, you know, up to about three quarters of a mile. Yeah. And so 90 miles an hour, nothing. It's like bright. These, it's very bright and it throws light far, but it throws light so evenly because of the optics in those reflector bowls that it's not like a typical light bar that just hot spots and just whites everything out. Right. You get full definition. Yeah, and it's just awesome. perfect light. It's I just can't say enough. The one thing that and and why I think this is cool for mountain bikers. If you ever get in a situation where you are leaving trailheads late or trying to find a trailhead or anything else like this, uh, I see a lot of guys put light bar, light bars on their car, and it really doesn't do a whole lot. You lose definition of the terrain. Yes, and but these lights are impressive. Yeah. Yeah, very impressive. You retain all the information that you need to see, but at the same time, the light is just outstanding. It also looks, in my mind, a whole lot better than a silly flat LED light bar. Yeah, and the beauty is this thing, the I have the five ring set up on my 4Runner, right. and it consumes 100 watts of energy. Wow. It throws out, um, I forget how many lumens of raw output. All of a, them. But a 50-inch 50, 50 light bar with 5D optics is like over 50,000 raw lumens. Yeah. This actually has better usable light and consumes one-fifth of the energy. That's crazy. It's crazy. Like this, just thinking on your charging system, a 50-watt you know, light bar is pulling, you know, upwards of 20 amps and that's if the temperature of the circuit board is correct you're not overheating it you know then you just start getting less and less output and more and more draw on your charging system this thing runs cool consumes less energy has more usable output it's a phenomenal system like, i love it it's great casey's been around for years and they've been around for right 26 years so, they're phenomenal yep pretty so, cool stuff yep so if you're going to put lights on your rig uh, which plenty of bros need to shuttle because shuttle is life. It um, is. Yeah, that's what I would say. And if you have a side-by-side, they actually make side-by-side specific Ooh. mounts for this Pro 6 setup. That would be pretty Where they have a Can-Am, a Polaris, you know, they've got lights and the Yamahas. Because that's also shuttle life. It is shuttle life. I want one. Yes. With that, uh, that covers it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, go to mtbpodcast.com. You can listen to the latest episode there. Share it with your friends. Please do that. That would be awesome. Uh, share it with everybody else. Let them know that uh, this is a good amount good mountain bike podcast if you feel so inclined and also go on there and pick up some shirts uh we may even have a baby onesie and let us know if you'd like some tank tops or something or mugs or anything like that so go on mtb mtbpodcast.com you can listen to the episodes there's stores on there all awesome stuff we'll talk to y'all next week thanks everybody have nice day Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.